Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Apparently in a rush because you have to run, so we're gonna do we're gonna do a, a speed podcast. Well, I I appreciate this, and it probably isn't helped by the fact that uh, someone in Asia decided to start cutting undersea cables. Well, it's weird. So the Taiwan this happens a lot, uh, but but the the cable connecting Taiwan to the U.S. is not cut. But there's like a bunch of uh, cables in in Southeast Asia that are cut, and I suspect lots of traffic is flowing up through the cables that we usually use. Anyhow, the the long story of it is that is that my internet connection has been awful for for the last couple of weeks, and uh, and so our fingers are crossed that that it will carry us through this podcast. It's a self repairing network, but unfortunately not a self expanding network. So uh, our our thanks to Mailchimp for sponsoring Exponent as they do every week. With Mailchimp, you can put your data to work. Mailchimp integrates with all the major e-commerce providers, so you can use your purchase data and personalized campaigns and better understand how your marketing affects your bottom line. Uh, the, one of many things that Mailchimp can do for you. And our thanks to them for sponsoring Exponent as they do every week. Yep, indeed. So uh, after, last week was was a therapy session. Today is a uh, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly how to frame it. I guess say there is there's this weird dynamic. Sorry, we're talking about Facebook again, but it's it's kind of inescapable at this point. Mm-hmm. And there's this. I mean, we've already patted our back up for a few episodes now for sort of anticipating this sort of backlash against Facebook against tech broadly about you know calls regulation these mm-hmm. sorts of things. But it, it's been it, it's it's interesting in some respects to see the debate go to places where we've already been, and also I think. V- too quick to skip over places that it needs to go, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I think this is indicative of folks who are, uh, th- they realize there's something wrong, but they're not necessarily doing the hard work of going to the root causes and they're taking old world thinking and just applying it point blank here. And also it's the case that some of the, because the nature of these problems are also so new and it's hard to necessarily make things stick that they're looking for cheap political points in order to like, ha, gotcha, this is the smoking gun and anchoring on the wrong things. There's a point that I've made again in this podcast, I made a trajectory, is that the sort of obvious explanation is probably mm. the wrong one, particularly if it entails people being stupid or evil. <laughs> I mean, like, there are a lot of stupid people in the world. There's a lot of evil people in the world. But if if you presume that they're not, that a company is not doing something because they obviously should do it, that there actually might be a good reason. And this week actually had had a perfect example where there's been a lot of people going on and on about, about fa- why doesn't Facebook share, share the Russian ads? What does Facebook have to hide? Or do all they care about money? They're being bad. Da, 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 da. And actually, it turns out, and I've referenced this in, in Strecker previously, one, one part of this, but there's another part that I didn't fully understand, but there's this great piece in the outline. I'll put the link in the show notes explaining about the, the Electronic Communications Privacy Act that basically doesn't let Facebook just willy-nilly hand out data. And and in and that includes we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Facebook advertisers are users on Facebook. And so to demand they just give away data that has been taken down, that's private, like they can't do that. And there's also the FTC you know, consent degree that they that they signed when they when they did do this, saying we will never do this again. And, and so they, you know, there's this thing where they released all the ads to Congress earlier this week, and Facebook basically broke the law to do that. Now, the reason why they decided to do that, as I understand it, is to like sort of uh, for the law to be enforced, the injured party has to sue. 
but and you know are are these Russian <laughs> folks going to sue Facebook? Uh, probably not. But then you have you have a yeah. you have a precedent problem, right? Now Facebook has said we will actually violate this, and what happens when? And as this this article points out, the Trump you know there, there's there's the ban that that Facebook hand over the identification of people who liked certain pages around protests around the Trump inauguration. And now Facebook's ability to resist that demand is significantly diminished by handing over these ads that people were declaring Facebook being evil for not handing over. Mm. I mean, the the DOJ, I think the article, the outline article notes this, the DOJ has become experts in uh, trying to shame companies when they change their minds. So they look for examples on the very extreme in order to set a precedent. And then that enables them to go back to that well time and time again. And this, I mean, this speaks to, uh, it's a perfect example of exactly the problem with the thinking that many of the people are employing when they're criticizing Facebook. It's it's inability to see past the present situation and what they think will fix the present situation. And and people were guilty of this before Trump. It, 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 it frustrated me no end under the Obama administration, for example, when people would say, oh, just give these guys the power, like they'll use it responsibly. And there were all kinds of ways in which this was a lot of power and you want to have you want to have oversight over it, but it's like, it's fine. Like we trust him without thinking about, well, that's fine when someone you like is in power, but what about when someone you don't like is in power? And and the fact that people are calling for regulation on, on this specific topic uh, around Facebook and controlling, uh, like uh, re- releasing information and getting into the realm of controlling editorial with uh, oftentimes someone in power in the government who they really dislike, it kind of boggles my mind that people aren't able to think just one step in front. I mean, it really is incredible. I mean, this week, Trump, like, threatened to revoke the license of NBC News into the networks, which, one, he, like, he, I mean, he can't really do, and that's not really how, how it works. But the I, clearly, it's in his mind and head that the, the speech should be restricted based on... Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't like it, right? So you want to set up a situation where Facebook uh, is compelled to restrict or speech or whatever it might be, knowing and and you think about like, well, well, who's who's going to take care of it? Oh, the regulators will. Like, who? Where does the reg? Where where do the regulators sit in 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 our government? In which branch? We have the judicial branch, we have the legislative branch, and we have the executive branch. They sit in the executive branch. Because they execute the laws. Who is the, the head president. of the executive branch? The president, the guy who's saying that he wants to he wants to take the license away from a network because he doesn't like he doesn't like what they're saying. Like the implication, the inevitable implication. This isn't like making some crazy scenario up. It is by definition, were there to be in a theoretical world, regulations of Facebook, the person in charge of those regulations and of executing them it's, it's would be Donald Trump. It's kind of mind-boggling that people aren't thinking this one step ahead. And I mean, this is this is a debate that we have had many, many times. Like I pretty early on believe believed that there was a big risk in centralized power. And I like my experience of seeing what Murdoch did in Australia and centralizing media control in that way and how, the potential for that to be abused as someone 
changes their mind. Like Murdoch, when he was younger, was quite idealistic. And there's all this, there's all this talk. There are old interviews he gave about how important it is for there to be many media operators to have a diverse point of view. And that changed dramatically. And he tried to tie up entire markets with newspapers and television and radio and, and get a, and push a point of view. And he was very successful in doing it. And whenever you see this centralization of power in media, like that initially, for me, that sets off alarm bells. But your pushback very early on was like, "Yeah, but like, who are you? Who are you going to hand the power to? Like, it's yes, centralization is dangerous, and clearly, it's dangerous in the hands of someone who set up this share structure where he has all this control." But giving it to the regulators and just assuming you hand it to the regulators and it's all going to be okay, that's a good thing. Mm. And I think that was very fair pushback. Well, and, and, and where I would grant you being correct is, you know, my sort of I – I, too, very much share the concern about centralized power. Like that's – we are two peas in a pod about that exactly. It, but in my, in my case, the issue with Facebook, or at least the comfort I took from Facebook, is the idea that because Facebook was so heavily motivated to be neutral or to, to be perceived as neutral for business reasons, people say – like people hold this up as a criticism of Facebook that oh they are neutral because they just want to make money that's a good thing like there it is good that the the widely recognized and and again you, to your credit you've been worried about this for a very long time most powerful entity in the world when it comes to the distribution of content is motivated to be neutral that like in a in a narrow perspective when that is bad for your personal political outcome that's very frustrating, but in a big mm. picture, everything's a trade-off, right? Like, what's worst as someone in charge? And then you see something this week, speaking of examples this week, <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg does a virtual reality tour of Puerto Rico, which is, which is <laughs> beyond dumb, so insensitive. Just, it, I mean, you want this guy who would do something so unbelievably stupid and out of touch with the world because he's so wrapped up in his 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 own personal reality of Facebook. You want this guy making editorial decisions. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, more than that, though, it's it's a concern that when these folks get into levels of wealth that are stratospheric, that sometimes the way they start making decisions no longer anchor on economic rationale. And like, I, I feel like that happened with Murdoch, and it's it started to happen with Zuckerberg around the whole manifestos and monopolies, like, like way back then when he, he released that big Facebook manifesto and came out talking about like Facebook's role in the world and a force for good. And it started to feel like he was starting to wade into this similar territory of he has a worldview and he has this organization and can use, to, use it to push it. Yes, thank you for tipping, <laughs> tipping my next point. But yeah, that's why I wrote it. That's why I wrote Manifestos and Monopolies, because it scares the crap out of me that Zuckerberg now wants to change the world. Because I'm <laughs> people changing the world, people with massive amounts of centralized power changing the world unilaterally doesn't turn out well. It just like it doesn't. That's like, can we have a little bit of history here? Like maybe Zuckerberg should have done one more year at Harvard, done nothing but history courses. It would have done all of us a lot of good because the reality is the history of the world is that one person does not change the world. The, the world like the world can can be changed, but it, one person imposing, directing where it ought to go. What happens when people start to push back? 
Oh well, let's 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 mute them. Let's take care of them. Let's let's get them out of the way. They're, they 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 can't see the greater good. They can't see where we're trying to go. And again, I'm not accusing or suggesting that Mark Zuckerberg is going down the road or anyone. My point is about centralized power. Centralized power is dangerous, and the the com- the comfort. I never disagreed with you about Facebook being a danger. I was resting perhaps mm. too strongly on the on the hope that incentives would would keep Facebook neutral, would, would sort of, you know, there, there'd be this tension that would keep them sort of not going to either side. And what's so fascinating is that the tension, there, there's been this new force introduced on Facebook, which is very much a sort of PR force, which is the, mm. the sentiment that has been, let's blame Facebook for the election. It's all, it's Facebook's fault. It, it, it's a fault. And to one, I do think it's weird. So this is, gets at the whole tension, right? Because this this perfectly encapsulates sort of the tension that I feel about this whole thing. I I don't think on a tactical mm. narrow level that that Facebook is responsible for the election. On the other hand, on a very broad level, I do think they're responsible not for a specific thing, but because of the way they changed communication way they changed media and i wrote that piece the voters aside how the 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 power of the media was intertwined with the power of the political parties and the breakdown of media power led to the breakdown of power of political parties such that Mm. the republican party establishment could not decide who their nominee was that allowed someone to come up from completely outside the system driven by a popular you know Pop, a populist sort of support, mm. and Facebook created the conditions for that to happen. So you have this debate about is Facebook responsible? Well, I, it, it, broadly, I have to say yes, but but that's not what people are talking about. We're talking about like, oh, Facebook should have made editorial decisions or should have done these sorts of things or whatever it might be. I, I think, I mean, I, I think, and that's where we started off with this conversation, right? I think there's a broader point around. Uh, filter bubbles, for example, which is something that we really need to talk about, but it's also extremely complicated. And I'm, folks who've listened to this podcast have probably heard us talk about it a bunch of times, but you go to the average voter on the street and talk to them about filter bubbles, they're not going to have a clue what you're talking about. On the other and and, and, and that, that speaks to the problem. But on the other hand, it's much easier to win a political point and paint these guys as the bad, like Facebook as the bad guys, when they're taking money from the Russian government to run ads that end up swinging the election. And what's sad about this is they are being litigated in the public domain. And and if, if successful, the regulation will come down focused on that, on something that isn't really, isn't moving the needle. Yes, you're punishing Facebook, but you're punishing them for the wrong thing. And you're not going to fix the underlying problem. You're just, you're going to get a win and you're going to make it hurt. But like the underlying problem that causes you to be so upset is still going to be there. And what's worse, you might have actually exacerbated the problem because uh, depending on the way this all plays out, you might be giving folks in the government hands to the controls over a media organization that reaches billions of people. Well, not just that, but like we talked about last week, what happens if, for example, say mm. let's just say theoretically it's legislated that Facebook has to review every single ad on its platform. That is going to dramatically raise costs, and which is going to increase the price of advertising, which is going to reduce the possibility of small advertisers mm. to to Facebook's going to no longer be level playing field, right? It's going to be a more expensive playing field. It's going to be harder to get started. It's going to take longer to get an ad running. It's going to be more complicated. Like, again, we can have the debate about whether that should happen. Mm. The problem is 
I don't, where's the debate about the downsides of that? Because the, the folks that are going to bear the downsides of that are the smaller you are and the less motivated you are or the less knowledgeable you are about this area, the more likely you're going to be harmed by this. But that's the exact sort of folks that I've argued we need to empower. We need to build sort of the economy of the future. And you're actually squeezing out the advertising channel for the economy of the future without even realizing it, without even realizing that's happening. And, and again – there's this aspect, too, where all this stuff's interconnected. You talk about filter levels. I agree it's a huge problem. It's something I bang on again and again. And, and if you want to criticize Zuckerberg, his dismissal of that and his willingness to wield an unscientific study as if it's fact, criticize him for that because that is it, – it, it's wrong. It's disingenuous and it's wrong. But at the same time, filter this polarization in, in the U.S. has been happening well before Facebook was even founded. It's It started you – know, geographic distribution has – has happened. You've had you've had this issue of of cable news and and all these sorts of things. Again, starting to people are starting to have different facts, different views of the world. You have things like housing regulations that make it such that places where there's massive economic opportunity, like mm. the coast or New York or San Francisco, is no longer accessible to people to move to go live there. Mm. What's always happened in the past that when inequality would happen, but it would rapidly take care of itself because people would go there. People would move their whole families there. And what would happen is the places they left, wages would go up because there'd be fewer people there. And the places they went to be better off because they had more opportunities. But now they can't because of housing regulations. Well, I don't see it's kind of funny how the people who are benefiting from these restrictive housing regulations will turn around and blame Facebook and blame taxes and blame everyone else for the problems in the economy and never look in the mirror at themselves. It's really interesting. I, it was it was mostly anecdotal, but I was reading something. Uh, I was reading something today that was exactly along these lines, where there are people leaving big population centers and actually leaving higher paid jobs to decamp to smaller population centers for lower paid jobs. I know, because it's a disaster. Like San Francisco should be exploding in population, and it's going the opposite direction. Right. I mean, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not going the opposite direction. It is growing, but it's. But relative to the economic wealth being generated, it's all out of whack. The the people who end up capturing an obscenely large amount of of the the growth end up being. Uh, landlords, people who own real estate, because uh, all this money is getting paid to folks for for working at Facebook or Google or startup or IPO, but there's only a limited amount of housing. And as the average salaries all go up, there's a limited number of houses. And so the prices all just go up and then the, the, like landlords end up being the winner out of all of this. Yeah, well, it's, it's not just that. Like, it's the oil companies now. Like, the janitors and and the and the restaurant workers have to drive like two hours commutes to to, to go work in San Francisco, or whatever. People talk about oh, tech companies don't don't employ very many people relative to their effect. That that is true, but there ought to be even then there ought to be an entire sort of like jungle to use mm-hmm. one of our favorite metaphors, an entire ecosystem that grows up around wealth that grows up around whether there's the direct first level like servicing, whether it be lawyers, mm-hmm. whether it be financial advisors, whether it be all those sorts of things that come in and they're mostly there like they can afford it but then it should be the you know the people that work in the offices whether it be the, the, the secretaries whether it be the the paralegals or whatever it might be it should be people who are cleaning the offices it should be people who who build the restaurants and and the and the barbers and and the all the service businesses that go around that and all those parts are being are being choked off i mean like there's in san francisco have this weird thing where you have like these extreme in when it comes to restaurants that whole like sort of middle area is like is like there's all these high-end stuff 
because that's the only way you can make make the, make the 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 economics work. And there's like the low end stuff where you're just going for super high volume, and all this sort of middle middle area is, is kind of barren. And you see this happening, and people complain, "Oh, the fundamental nature of the of the city is changing." And the reaction is to it's the, the reaction is to preserve to go back to to where you were, but that's mm. doomed. It is absolutely doomed because this change has already happened. The best way to preserve the spirit of the city is to charge forward. It's to get to the future faster. To use our title title from last week, and you see, it's it's a, an analogy for the problem you see in all these areas. These changes have already happened. The question is, how do we deal with them? And if the response is to preserve and go back to the way it was on a surface level, you will lose the spirit of it far quicker than you would have otherwise. Mm, I mean, I concur. I do want to bring us back to, I mean, uh, without wanting to diminish any of what you've just said, and and I uh, obviously a fruitful area for regulators to be focused on is is ex- like bringing the future sooner rather than trying to cling on to the past with you 100%. But I kind of want to bring it back to Facebook because Like, have you had further thoughts on how we might actually deal with this? Because I I feel like the the ground has now been set as a result of what's coming, uh, what what the the debate that's happening. Even if people are focused on the wrong area, uh, they're focused on the Russian ad buy, for example. It, It feels like that there is momentum building to start to regulate these social networks because of the impact they're having on society. Have you had further thoughts about what you would actually do to fix the underlying problem? Well, the first thing is to identify what the real underlying problem is. And that gets that, that sort of not to return to, to the point we just made, but is the problem, you know, like fake news, for example, is Mm. it, is it these, is it these Russian ads or are there, broader problems of just the pure sort of centralization is it a problem that you know that our self-serve ads a problem that you, that you can do ever i mean again i think i've made my point clear that i i think there's there's a real baby and bathwater sort of aspect to this mm. and, and like here's the thing if a hundred thousand again i kind of made this point i said this last week on a daily update if a hundred thousand dollars worth of ads could tip the U.S. presidential election, then Facebook should be like a ten trillion dollar company mm. because the the efficacy of their of their ads is is you know is unbelievable and astronomical and 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 phenomenal and that in some respects like makes this conversation more urgent because they're so unbelievably powerful. The, the problem is is people many of the same people that are convinced that this tipped the election are happy that when news comes out about uh restriction hardware saying we don't see the point of advertising social media doesn't made, made no difference or png saying we're pulling back because hmm. we're not sure what this advertising <laughs> works and it like how do you hold in your head at the same time that this convinced that oh this is all scam doesn't work blah 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 and oh but it, it totally tipped the u.s presidential election I mean, there's there's a weird sort of like it's it's got to be it's got to be one or the other, right? Right. I, I mean, I, I get I get it. I agree. I think that the 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 rationale would be something along the lines of well, they had some hidden insight that you know the these guys are like masters of the internet, masters of American uh, 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 elections, and they had some hidden insight about where it was the right people to target were, et cetera, et cetera. But I I, I mean, I completely agree. Well, but there's there's this mindset. There, there, there's this mindset. It's it's weird because usually I'm the one defending advertising uh, because I I do think is effective, but you know as we've just talked about, it's effective in sort of changing affinity and, and whatnot. And yes, that that is certainly something that you would want to do in 
political advertising and particularly the, you know, I've written very explicitly and clearly uh, that this, this whole dark ads thing is a huge problem. This idea that you can mm. show advertising to some people and only the people who, who are targeted see it and no one else can see it. And I've ex- explicitly written that should not be allowed. It should be banned. And I've actually gone further. And to Facebook's credit, they have their it's no longer possible. Like ads will be will be publicly mm. available, but they're not going to be searchable. They're not going to be uh, th- th- like it's not transparent enough in my estimation. Facebook would say, oh, if they're searchable, then people can figure out patterns and can you know break down the algorithm, or whatever. Like. That's yes, that's true, and also it could hurt smaller players because it's easier for like the incumbents to see what they're doing. But that's a trade off, and, and and it's a trade off that I think is worth making because you think about it. It's not just things like uh, like election ads. What about false advertising? I think that's pr- I suspect that's a big problem on Facebook. I don't know for a fact it was a problem on Google. About, about there's an issue about supplement advertising and drug advertising on Google that they got nailed on, and it's, I think it's a similar issue where. Where you know these are problems, but at the same time, at the same time, it's really easy to say then we shouldn't have it at all, and and to miss out on on what's going on. Like the, I saw a journalist tweeting when 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 Cheryl Sandberg had an interview yesterday, and she says in the fact that well, lots of businesses in Russia have have advertisements on Facebook. She's like, should probably rethink that one. Mm. Why? Like, I mean, we so everyone in Russia should be banned from advertising because of uh, a few bad actors. Because of this yeah, issue. no, of course not. Well, I mean, we can debate that, but what was what was interesting about that tweet was it didn't even suppose that there might be a debate to be had. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? I mean, I, I'm with you on advertising and its effectiveness, but I, I think people are forgetting that it, it wasn't. This wasn't the only hundred thousand dollars spent on the U.S. election. In fact, it was far from it. I I can't imagine how much money was dropped in terms of digital advertising just on Facebook alone in that last election. It was. It was in the hundreds of millions. I, it must have been that high. Well, not just that, but how were we in a situation? Let's, let's, let's suppose that the $100,000 did what was a deciding mm-hmm. factor. How did we get to the point where that was a deciding factor? Like that conversation, where's that conversation? And that's where it gets into things like the things that people don't want to think about and don't mm-hmm. want to talk about. They, they don't want to, they don't think about the impact that race could have had on this election. They don't want to think about the impact that inequality could have on this election. They don't want to think about the, the impact of, of all the wealth and power going to the coast and the resentment mm-hmm. that might generate elsewhere. They don't want to think about the fact that because of the U S constitution, all political power is based more on land than on people, which has like the opposite resentment effect, where people on the coast feel unrepresented because you know of who's controlling the government that might not necessarily be represented based on population. So you have this this, this whirlwind, this swirl of resentment of for reasons both valid and and invalid mm-hmm. as as from a sort of moral perspective. But all that stuff is like nope, hundred thousand yeah. dollar ads on Facebook. Like I mean, and and again, this is. You know, I, I I keep trying to pat ourselves on the back about us talking about this, but our talk about sort of the backlash against technology, it's it's kind of fascinating. This is how it's manifested because we've always been particularly concerned about the sort of inequality angle and and the and the centralization of wealth and, and, and this how it's manifesting itself is really interesting because it's not it's the people who are winners that are driving this, right? The people the people who are most upset about these ads are by and large winners. In sort of the 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 grand cycle of of the U.S. economy. Well, well, that that that's true. But they are, I mean, they are people who feel that they had an election 
robbed. So it's it's probably being driven in part by the Democratic Party. But it's also being, there's no doubt at all that it's being amplified in large part by the media. And many aspects of the media are I wouldn't I wouldn't characterize as winners of this. Like I think <laughs> part of a uh, part of the reason that this is getting so much play is because the, the I'm going to mispronounce this and everybody loves it when the Australian gets the the uh pronunciation wrong, wrong but it's Schadenfreude. Uh like like they are loving seeing the the organization that caused them the 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 that blew up the business models of all these media companies all around the world being dragged through the mud and they'll take anything, they'll latch onto anything they can in order to do it. And there's no doubt that this is a, I mean, it's, it's a thing that can be litigated. It is like, it's not great. It's clearly not great. It's, it's bad that a foreign government was able to buy advertising in uh, that influenced to some extent uh, a US election. Like that should not be allowed. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're like we're yeah. yeah. I, I want to double down on that we're not excusing this or saying right. it's okay or a good thing at all. Not at all. It, it is a bad thing. It should not have been allowed to happen. And I think the grace that mm. we request in all of our discussion and exponent is we are heavily, heavily concerned with trade offs. Mm. And the implication of a trade off is that is that there's bad things on both sides, and you got to right. choose. You got to choose, right? So I, so I, it's worth sort of emphasizing but, and but doubling like down putting on it in perspective like of all the things that that we should be try, uh, we should be nailing facebook or any of these tech companies to the wall for this is not the thing yes this is something that should be pre- prevented from happening again and I, I have no doubt that it will be but the idea that this is the thing that gets a hundred percent of our focus or the idea that if we solve this then all the issues that that have brought us to this point are going to be solved that's crazy well, yeah, I mean, you see the same thing with this whole thing about like, like Twitter should ban Trump, right? And like, I, I, you know, I was in a debate with this about someone. I'm gonna get yourself in trouble here, but like, it's like, oh, you know, Twitter allowing Trump to 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 be on there, it's normalizing him. We can't let him be normalized. <laughs> uh, um, last time I checked, he's the president of the United States. That, like, that is the normal. I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry about about the implication for what that says about America. But unless we wake up to that reality. That sorry, that's 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 what it is, and and again, like that is normal. Trump is the president. That's that that is normal. Like that's un, you may think that the normal is bad or disagree with it, or you may love it. You may think it's a great thing, and thank goodness we finally got those you know snobby elites out of there. Like I'm not I'm not going to pass judgment right now on, on those two points, but you can't escape the fact that it's normal, and you can't just wish away and say, oh, if only we enforce the terms and agreements, everything will be better. It's- yeah. The world doesn't work that way. The world does not work that way. It, it, and there's such a temptation to like, especially if you've grown up in a world where you follow the rules and you work hard and you succeed and 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 you know do what the teacher tells you, you'll get an A. That's not how the real world works. And there's this this temptation to apply this sort of classroom mindset where if you follow the rules and you give the right answer, you'll be the winner. And that's on, this is the real world. And, and applying the rules does will not change. The reality of of the world yeah, today. I, I mean, it's it's kind of obnoxious to think that you are you are going to try and censor the president of the United States, and that's you're going to do that by knocking him off the tech platforms, and that's going to solve all the problems. Be, beyond the fact that he he should be communicating, like this is something that the president should be doing. This idea that yeah, you solve the problem by a violation of Twitter's terms and conditions. It's just. 
I mean, I'm I'm with you. Like it's it's nuts. Like the idea he won't find somewhere else, or and the the extent to which this would inflame all the people that that voted for him in the first place. Like I actually think rather than help the problem, it would only make the problem worse. Right. That's the whole thing about this whole backlash thing, right? Like there's this, and this is this is the danger zone that tech is in right now, and that these companies like Facebook and Google are in because you have this. You know, particularly Google, I think was was very politically active on the Democratic side, in particular, in, in, in particularly in the person of Eric Schmidt. Well, not just that, but there's sort of a revolving door between Google and the Obama administration. A lot of people from Google went to work work, work for Obama. Eric Schmidt was like a on Hillary Clinton's campaign, involved in like the technical aspects or whatever. Uh, was very vocal, and and there's been a sort of bubbling, I think, resentment that tech is is biased mm. against against the right and in favor of the left, which if you actually talk to people in tech is actually, you know, at least from a personal perspective is, is probably mostly true. And so you have this weird situation where naturally, again, you can clearly kind of throw traditional political positions and principles out of the water or out, out the window as we're witnessing right now. But traditionally, you would think that the, 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 the right would be more likely to defend tech companies against charges of, of being... Uh, 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 they should be regulated. They should be broken up, or whatever it might be. But you have this this sort of sentiment that oh, they're on the other team, they're on the other side, and this polarization that I referred earlier is becoming such a big issue in America generally. And tech is being thought of quite clearly as being on one side of the mm-hmm. divide that it's mm-hmm. that it's that it's not neutral. And so you have this situation where tech is finding itself with no natural defenders because you have the left using it, blaming it. It's your fault, and then sort of a natural propensity towards regulation anyway. And then the folks that would that would you know naturally sort of defend it are like, yeah, screw you. Yeah, I know. I mean, this is why Sheryl Sandberg's in Washington giving interviews to to political focused news organizations and doing runs on Capitol Hill because like. Yeah, and that's and that's why Zuckerberg is traveling around the country. I mean, this whole idea that Zuckerberg is going to run for president. I mean, I'm sorry, someone that would do a freaking VR tour of Puerto Rico does not have the political ability to run for president. I'm pretty sure that he knows that better than anyone else. Okay, like the guy's not running for president, but. The issue is that Facebook is very much a political mm. entity by virtue of the sort of company right. that they are. The, the the power they have. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't think I'm ever going to get that image of him high-fiving somebody on top of a flooded street in Puerto Rico out of my head. It just... I, I was like, after the the extent to which his press tour was so carefully managed, and I don't know how that one slipped past the keeper. Just in general, though, I mean, it's carefully managed, but it's carefully managed to the point mm-hmm. it looks so fake. And and like like what what is actually being accomplished here, other than like spurring these silly presumptions that he's running for president, which I'm I'm very sure, you know, I'm quite sure are not true, not based on the inside information. Just like I I, I very highly doubt it. Again, he's he's the CEO of Facebook. Right. Why would you want to step down? I mean, I, I say that only slightly tongue in cheek, right? And then you, you have the whole thing with China going on, bald faced like appeasement and like kissing up to Chinese leadership and the hope to get Facebook in there. Like I mean, you. I mean, Zuckerberg, there's a lot of things to admire about Mark Zuckerberg, like his ability and willingness to learn and to empower people that are good at things he's not good at. Mm -hmm. Speaking of like Sheryl Sandberg, for example, is really impressive. And and his sort of development as an executive and the way that he's he's grown Facebook is, is, is really great. But at the same time, this guy so clearly has has interesting view of human nature. I've pointed to all the time. 
Well, he, yeah, he, he has this sense that technology mm. can fix everything, and he explicitly says this in the keynotes, and I've called it out multiple times. Like this, I don't. It makes me. He has this point of view that that this incessant optimism, mm. techno optimism, that if only we had more technology, the world would be better, and this sort of inevitability of progress. And this is what I railed against last week, and I, I've been concerned about from the very beginning. Yes, if you step back far enough. The Industrial Revolution made the world better. The Agricultural Revolution made the world better. I mean, like, uh, of course, you, know, you can say we were happier as, <laughs> yeah. as the, the safety right. out there, right, when we were running around. But, but here's a good example, because I've, I've gotten this pushback a little bit, right? I've, I've read Sapiens. It's a great book. I've quoted it in the Strictly article before. And people are like, oh, you know, well, actually, progress isn't good. When we were hunter-gatherers, uh, I'm sorry, his name's escaping me. He says we were happier then. Well, the issue is that once – agriculture started, what happened was there's more people were born, right? And because there, there was more food available. And the problem is the genie th- doesn't that go was back done. in the like bottle, we, right? We couldn't go. You can't go back. Exactly. That's exactly it. And you can say, and I've said this before, it's a similar thing right now. You can say, you know what? It was better before. Now, I disagree, right? For lots of reasons. Because I think lots of people who are marginalized at the bottom, it wasn't better before. But it, but we can have a you know a debate about that, I, and I can appreciate the debate and like the post-war structure and all sorts of stuff. You know, or the world was better. The problem is, we're it's too late. Like there is no going back. We have to go forward, and and once you accept that we have to go forward, we have to be really cognizant. And before I defended Facebook, that there might be values to Facebook that are worth preserving. But I'm going to direct this exact same criticism and worry to Mark Zuckerberg, who thinks technology can make everything better. Mm. Technology can change things, and it is not at all sure it will make things better. And if you don't have it in your head that it might go horribly wrong, if you don't think about the worst-case scenario, the worst-case scenario actually becomes the most likely to happen because there's nothing – no one thinking about how to stop it from happening. I mean, I, I feel like this is this is the little filter bubble that he lives in by virtue of the success he's had. And it's not until you get massive amounts of pushback, for example, about stuff like this. I mean, he was completely dismissive of the idea that Facebook could uh, tip the election initially, like the incredulity, incredulousness with which he reacted to that news right after the election versus now. And I think he realizes a little bit. Well, well but again, not just that, though, but even worse to my mind is the dismissal of the filter bubble idea, right? Well, and that persists. I mean, I, I, I watched part of that Sheryl Sandberg um, interview with uh, Axios, I think it was, and she dismissed it out of hand. She's like, this isn't true. It's just not true. People used to get filtered news before. Like, I, that's still hasn't gotten through to them. But putting that aside, I feel like this also speaks to the 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 a topic that keeps coming up. It's the strengths and weaknesses thing. Like the reason that they have been so uh, successful is because he has such an interesting worldview that has in certain ways works so well. Like the idea that you could digitize human relationships and digitize people's interests, that you could effectively capture elements of people as bits. And that is in part true. But there is this extension of that thinking to, to like, and the world is a better place and everything is better when you do this without recognizing that there are other things that are lost 
in in the human condition that you can't necessarily capture. And the filter bubbles is one element. Like when you walk around, when you catch the subway with other people who don't necessarily agree with you, or you you work in an office, or uh, like you're going to get exposed to more things that you otherwise wouldn't read, or read an old newspaper, or whatever it might be, or when there are only five TV channels. But when you move to this new world, it's it's not just all better. And I th- I, I think he's he sees part of it but he doesn't see the downside of it until it's really rammed in his face yeah well i mean but this i think though this is the this is the connection right it's this inability and that ties our sort of criticism of everyone in this debate of art we're 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 sitting at high criticism everyone but this can apply to us just as much as well Mm. is it's in it's a declining to think about the worst case scenario like if you're saying here saying, oh, regulate Facebook or do this or Facebook do that, do whatever, and you don't think about what might go wrong with that approach, then your recommendation is going to be problematic. And on the flip side, if you're Facebook or if you're a Facebook defender or whatever it might be, and you say, oh, no, this is the way it should be. This is better or we're doing the right thing. This is going to make the world better. And you don't consider the worst case scenario, then you're going to have problems. And again – there is no, there is nothing that says that things have to mm. be better. That when we make new technology, it's going to make the world a better place. It's going to make the world a different place, and it is up to us to decide collectively as a society, and not as someone on high dictating down because that never works. It's up to us to figure out if that's going to be better or if it's going to be worse. And if we're not even cognizant that there is a choice, this is the problem. It's 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 not even realizing the trade-offs that we're implicitly demanding be made. And if you're if you're not explicitly thinking through the pros and cons and what is being traded off, then you are going to end up in a place that you have no idea what it might be, if it's good or bad. And 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 frankly, the insistent that it is good is usually the precursor to the bad. Mm, yeah, and I, I mean, you 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 did the tongue in cheek quip about I wish you'd taken some history classes. Like it's absolutely the case. Like dark, whether dark ages or Great Depression, how you you see this trend towards things being better, but it it. it or people being more connected. This is not a straight line that just extends over human history and that is inevitable. Like if it's not carefully managed and thought about, things start going bad, people people will pull back. They will try and roll it back to what it was and it, it's, it won't be better as a result of that. Well, I think, I think there's a real problem with this conflation of progress in technology with progress yeah. I- yeah. in society. And, and, the reality is, is technology is progressing inevitably progressing forward it like it is that's that's just this that, that's going on and there's a sort of exponential effect of technology where technology builds on the, the mm-hmm. technology that came before and you're really supercharged with the transistor and and, and why we've had such incredible advances over the last 50 years and that is going to continue that is but the problem and this gets to the the easy conflation of by virtue of building new technology, I am by definition doing good for the world. Is that is an invalid conflation? You like you cannot say those two things go together. the The progress of technology is independent from the progress mm. that we are that we are undergoing as a people, as a society. And if we're not cognizant of that difference, it is very easy to end up in a very problematic space. Ben, that is is such a good point, and it's it's. It's worth explicitly stating. And do you know what else is interesting? I think 
the founding like the founding myth and the reason that silicon valley and tech is so appealing to so many people is based on exactly that myth and there are people who are here who have dedicated their lives and i mean in a certain sense we're among them right like we're believers in tech like this is part of the reason why i like thousands of other people have traveled from across seas to land in Silicon Valley is because there is a deep belief that is often unquestioned that progress in tech equals progress in society. And it's it's basically mapped to be true for most of our lives. And we don't see, we don't see instances where it hasn't been the case, despite the fact that they might be there in history. But because that myth is there, it's it's making folks in tech blind to the possibility that that just because technology is progressing, it doesn't mean that society will. And that's part of the reason why I don't think this conversation is had enough. Well, and that's why the history is so important, right? I mean, if you want to be very blunt about it, one of the primary outcomes of the Industrial Revolution is we got a whole lot better at killing killing each other. In far higher volumes and far greater efficiency, sound familiar to that word, than we ever did before. And, and like, the, and yeah, these things need, need to be divorced. And, you know, there's an aspect. I, I believe in the idea of comparative advantage, that people doing what they're best at and pursuing their passions and doing great things, like, that, that's the best way to make the world a better place, right? That, to have everyone be, you know, goody two-shoes and be dedicated to, to lay down from on high causes. Like, again, I think that's very problematic because it, it's problematic from a, one, no one knows enough to be in charge just because that's the reality of, of humanity. And two, we're not getting the full, the full output of, of humanity if we're you know, directing people into certain jobs as opposed to letting them you know, maximize what they're good at, what, what, what they're great at. And so I'm totally cool with, and it's fine to, to have the sort of perspective that I just want to code or I just want to do whatever. I just want to work in tech. I find it exciting. And that's great. But – with you know, I, I it's so canny, but I have to go there. With great power comes great responsibility, and the the reality is that Facebook and Google and these companies do have great power by virtue of pursuing what they wanted to do. Just because the, the, that's the nature of the internet. Then, like we've talked about so much, everyone thought the internet would disperse. Actually, the internet centralizes, right? Because it shifts from supply driven to demand driven, and and the the volume is so great that those few companies at the filter points gain this this amazing amount of uh, amount of power and this is the other thing too facebook's power is driven by the nature of the internet it's not driven by mark zuckerberg being, being power hungry the the power the nature the power of google is driven by the nature of the internet it's not driven by larry page wanting to control everything and and it's so easy mm. to impute motivation to stuff that is actually market driven. And if you impute motivation to everything, your solutions are going to be grounded in we need to change motivations or we need to change what people do when actually you have to deal with the structural realities that are driving this. And if you don't do that, if you don't understand the structure, your your responses and your solutions will make the problem worse inevitably. This is a perfect segue to a topic that I was really hoping to bring up with you tonight. And it also, I, I, before I 
before I mention it, I also want to go back to a point you made about five minutes ago about thinking through the worst case scenario, thinking through the harm that you might do with something, because I'd like to work this out. One of the things that we've talked about in terms of regulating Facebook has been social graph portability. But as this debate has continued, one of the things I thought about was, uh, was actually trying to figure out a way, recognizing the fact that the internet causes the internet causes these things to reform, and if you if you broke Facebook in such a way that 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 killed it mortally, you'd probably just have or wounded it mortally. You'd probably just have another company come in and take its place. But is there a way of regulating this space such that you could create the conditions such that there is less decentralized power, and it is creating an environment where you you foster more competition, and there are less of these problems that you were that that you've been describing and one of the one of the thoughts i had was potentially to try and split apart facebook from the perspective of the part that has the social graph and from the part that is the front end the media company the place where uh, people share where people see the news feed and whatever with the idea that there would be an incentive for the company that has the social graph to create more of these media companies such that there isn't this one centralization of power and when you think about the the social graph, like that is much more an infrastructure type play. It's like the kind of thing that you create once and you want everyone to be able to use and to gain access to. Before we get into sort of Social Graph Co. as being a sort of an independent entity, the reason why we've talked about Social Graph portability and the idea of Social Graph is because that's the sort of it's a network. It's a network mm-hmm. monopoly, right? Facebook has digitized. You know all these human relationships, two two billion of them, and I, I can't even f- the number that is implied by there being two billion independent nodes in a network of how many connections there are is it's unfathomable how many connections there are, and and and, and just to wrap your head around the scale of that and that it network monopolies. I think have a tendency to look a lot like natural monopolies, a natural monopoly being like the cable company where, because they've already, because they're massive fixed mm. costs, right? They've invested all these fixed costs, which means if a competitor wants to come along, they can lower prices because they've already paid the, the, the primary part of their cost structure is fixed mm-hmm. costs, right? Which means your marginal cost is basically zero. So you can lower prices really low. They lower prices really low until the competitor is driven out of the market because they're spending tons of money on fixed costs and they raise them back up. That's a natural monopoly and network affects kind of look a lot like that. So this is why I pushed, I talked about last year in this manifesto monopoly, like social graph portability, like Instagram got a big lift by basically being able to import mm-hmm. your Twitter network, right? So here's, this is the reason why this is, before we get to your idea, what's fascinating about this is what is sort of the biggest push around regulation of social networks? It's arguably like like uh, this GDPR in, in Europe, mm-hmm. privacy, right? And and a big thing, this is data portability. I was like, oh, it's great. It's going to be a big problem for Facebook. Guess what's excluded explicitly from data portability? Personally identifiable information. It's it's your contacts, right? You can't exclude, you can't export your contacts without their explicit permission. So so because, and if you think about it from a data perspective, it makes sense, right? They're... Their identifying information, their their information, their email address, their identifying whatever it might be, that's their information, right? So why should I, Ben Thompson, be able to export James Allworth information from company A to company B? That's up to James to decide, right? But here's a situation where 
like the 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 this is where a classic example of a trade off mm. that is being made, and I'm not sure how many people are really considering the implication of it. This locks in Facebook. Do do, do these sort of regulations hurt Facebook's business? Sure, they do. No big company wants regulation that's going to you know cause raise prices and 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 costs and all those sorts of things. But it's simultaneously making it far more difficult for a competitor to come along, and it's locking out the sort of regulation that I actually think would be more productive because because I think more competition would be better. Having few less centralization would be better. And the way you do that is you is you break like for example in internet access I. I support the idea of uh, the, the names escaping me, but where basically one company owns the lines and multiple companies can serve internet over that. Uh, they, they did it in Great Britain a few years ago. It's turned out very, very well. Competition improved, speeds have improved, and I think they should do that in the US. Now, I, I will hope that's going to happen, but the idea is actually kind of similar to your idea, but that there has to be a sort of freedom to increase that competition, which means you have to unlock the monopoly so that lots of people mm. can share, share into it, right? Well, guess what's happening here? If the monopoly is the network and you're locking it down to the guise of privacy, mm -hmm. you've actually made the other situation worse in the context of trying to make the, this other situation better. Yeah. And again, that's a trade-off you might want to make, but was, was the implications of this trade-off really, truly thought through? I, I think people view it in absolute rather than relative terms, right? Oh, it's hurting Facebook, therefore, therefore it's going to help everybody else. N no, it's hurting Facebook, but it's actually going to hurt everybody else more. It's, it's a, just because it's doing damage to one does not mean it, hurts every, it helps everybody else. In fact, it ends up, it ends up hurting them more. Right, and so you know, there's this, so this portability idea, you know, being able to import your your, your list or whatever. Uh, I th I think I think it's a key idea. I'm not sure, I'm not sure that it's it's necessarily the solution, right? I mean, this this came up in the context of AOL, like where AOL was forced to you know enact interoperability, and it, that didn't really change anything. Like in, AOL was done in by Facebook, mm -hmm. frankly, and the, and then and then mobile after that. But because what's driving why this also happened, right? And this I've written this a couple times in the context of Facebook that Facebook has almost progressed past the the social network lock in to their lock in is just the fact that people go to Facebook all the time, like when they're on the bus, when they're on the can, when they're walking on the street, when they're in bed, they just go to Facebook, and it's this it's this habit where people go, and that really touches on the real complexity here. Like we're deal we're not dealing with. You know, one company owning all the railroads, one company owning all the oil refineries, one company owning all the t all, all the wires, right? In the context of like, I've pointed to AT and T, and this is why I haven't written about it. We talked about it on the podcast a little bit ago. The issue is there is that physical aspect of AT and T's monopoly with telephones that that gave it a different dimension than a situation where people are voluntarily choosing to use this thing. Mm -hmm. That makes it so much more complicated and hard to think through what remedies might or might not work. Yeah, I mean, I guess to advocate for this idea a little bit more is the difference between this and pure um, portability is because you've created separate entities, you have a new entity that has all this information, who has an incentive, which has an incentive to figure out and support other organizations coming along and monetizing that graph. And that might result in, because this is such a powerful like the the those two billion connections or those two billion nodes and all the relevant connections, because that's so powerful and they could potentially help seed 
other ideas. Because right now, if you have a great idea for a social network or something else that might compete for the idea or, or compete for the time that you spend on Facebook, you not only have to flesh that out you need to get enough people using it where if there are network effects that you can get to a point where there's scale and that's really challenging but if you had an organization looking and whose incentive it was to create more of that because they made more money that is starting i feel to craft the environment in which you are creating something that is fertile for competition yeah it's interesting i mean it it, i i can see the sort of difference between like just pure social graph portability and like having a company that that's what they do. And so they're incentivized to help other companies build it as mm-hmm. was like, like, yeah, I, Facebook forced to open up the social graph would be a lot like Microsoft forced to open up, right. you know, windows APIs where they did the crappiest job possible and made it almost impossible to work with. Uh, yeah. That's interesting. It's interesting to think about, you know, if we were to, because centralization is bad. Like, I mean, <laughs> that's why I feel so weird about this whole debate. You know, there's different types of regulation. And I have I think I've made this point in the podcast previously. Like, there is regulation where the, the, the cost-benefit analysis, regulation around, like, advertising, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a that's one type of regulation where you, you can see the benefits of that regulation where you wouldn't have, like, like ads that shouldn't be in the election in the election. But on the flip side, there's foregone opportunity costs that that it's easy to forget mm-hmm. about, which is making it really easy for small and medium-sized businesses right. and individuals to do advertising, right? So that's one type of regulation where you're trying to stop bad things. Mm-hmm. And, and my sort of bias towards competition and being a capitalist means I'm I'm wary of that of that because there's foregone foregone opportunity. Mm-hmm. But there's another kind of regulation which is regulation that that breaks up monopolies, that breaks up centralization, that enables competition. And I've always found it weird this conflation. And actually, I don't think it's an accident where this conflation of all regulation being the same. When there's two different types of regulation, I think it's very consistent to be pro-competition and to believe in capitalism and be very pro-monopoly regulation, breaking up monopolies, because that, that's not it's not good for anyone. If you believe that competition is actually a good thing, is a way to progress, is a way to, to push us mm. jointly forward to a future we need to go, having one entity that chokes that chokes off out, that, that's a bad place to be. Oh, it totally is. And I mean, I think this speaks to, I, I mean, I, I feel like this speaks to part of the problem with the political process that somehow being pro-capitalist has has equated to being pro-short-term profits as opposed to being pro-monopoly. Yeah, yeah like as opposed to cre- pro-creating a fertile environment for innovation and competition to happen. Somehow, well, I mean, it's not somehow. We've talked about it, but regulators and legislators speak to business people at the top of their game in the best companies and they want things that help them and inside the regulators and the legislators minds helping big companies has somehow become pro-capitalist as opposed to thinking about what you can do to foster a foster an environment where it's your it's 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 uh your community your district that that creates the next company that that kills the incumbents like it's gone from creating things that disrupt and take out the incumbents to inadvertently protecting the incumbents and that it's it's sad that that's happened well it's it's the same thing here like people people aren't instead of pushing for facebook's power to be ameliorated via competition people are actually demanding facebook use their power in a way that suits them Mm. 
Right. You know, what, you know what I mean. And like, the, unfortunately, the reality is like there there isn't a short term solution here. The the, the short term solution that people are pushing for entrenches the power. The, you again, it's a because this is the thing. Facebook is what it is because of structural the structure of the internet. Google is what it is because of the structure of the internet. It follows that changes must be made to the structure. And this is, you know, part of the, speaking of frustration, the frustration I have with a lot of the, the, the antitrust sort of lobby that's developing an anti-monopoly lobby, which is viewing so many of these through a, a typical supply driven framework and, and proposing remedies that, that flow from that. If you don't understand, this is why I've, the, I've been back on the reason I've been back on the aggregation theory thing for the past few months, in particular comes from this antitrust concern from earlier in the year about Facebook and MFS monopoly and realizing that I have to better articulate this. Cause if you don't appreciate the forces that are resulting in these monopolies, you can't come up with appropriate mm-hmm. antitrust regulations right. that undo them. Right. Yeah. You, 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 you're not, you're, you're going to, you're going to actually make it worse. And I mean, you're right, like people are focused on the old world, which a monopoly restricts supply as opposed to the new world where monopoly gets demand to opt into it. And it, it's it's almost like it's now the Pied Piper. You have all, all the kids following along behind you. And if you apply old world regulation to that, it's not going to work the way it used to. Yeah, it, it- yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird. Like I've felt. I I mean, we'll, we'll wrap this up. But like I mentioned, my sort of my angst last week, and this week kind of gets at it too. Because like there's this. It's almost like the, the level of complexity has just exploded in the in the last year in many respects, right? Like it's not just because of this tie-in of of society and and and, and, pos- and potential regulation and and it's weird. it's i mean in some respects it's what i've been predicting like all this stuff's interconnected Mm. you know i was writing that last year but to actually sit in the middle of all the interconnectedness in 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 saying no this is how we can peel it apart with these different places oh be careful if you push that push that i almost feel like i i felt almost stuck in mud like recently Mm. because because it's 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 so tempting to have a sort of binary prescription and sometimes feels so frustrating to have uh you know a prescription you know a, a response that is niggling with the details yeah. right it, it's easy it's easy to to have a slogan right and, and i mean nothing better characterizes that than than the attacks that are being levied on facebook right now and again for folks that are wondering if we're causing you cognitive dissonance in how we can swing from defending them to attacking them it's it's because of this point exactly like if we're going to attack them you want to attack them for the right reasons and the problems underlying it as opposed to just winning on winning points on a campaign slogan on something that's not going to fix the underlying problems yeah, I mean, there's this like there's this tweet someone had about like so Facebook started this blog, right? It's called Hard Questions or this series of posts, and they're like, "Mock it." I don't understand why these are hard questions. What a stupid name, blah, blah. These are unbelievably hard questions, right? And like, and to Facebook's credit, like Facebook is super biased in this. Facebook doesn't want to be broken up. They don't want to be regulated. Like they want to make money. All those things are true, but to to insinuate that from that, what they do is very straightforward and obvious. It's not like you don't think that Facebook hasn't diddled endlessly debated endlessly about how to control ads about how to manage like live video about how to manage people posting suicide notes on facebook about people putting threats on facebook you don't think twitter hasn't thought about or debated the implications of trump threatening nuclear war on, on, on the platform of course they have and to to mock the idea of them calling this hard questions it's it's insulting to everyone's intelligence and it's it's it, it looks 
reflects poorly on yourself. These are unbelievably hard questions because we're, and the other thing is, we're in totally unprecedented mm-hmm. water, right? Like, and this is what I said. I'm like, oh, I'm looking at AT&T and thinking about this regulation. And the more I thought about it, the, realize, the more I realized it's not really applicable at all because the nature of a physical natural monopoly, yes, it is a network. And so that's interesting, but it's so fundamentally different from what powers the Facebook and Google monopolies that it's, we have to make, we have to make yep. new stuff up. We and this is and this is interesting if you can see it. It's exciting mm-hmm. if you can see it. Like if you want to go back to Sapiens and 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 his idea of that all of human society is this structure built up in our heads, right? That, that, that and like all these things that we think are natural and right are actually creations. We are in the middle of 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 creating. We are creating the future. We are creating the way the world will work where the scholars and people in 50 years, 100 years will look back and say, oh, how did we come to think this way? How did we come to view this? We're making history. And and you want to come to Silicon Valley to change the world? Here's the thing. You are changing the world. Just my challenge is not to say that tech isn't changing the world. My challenge is to say that what that world looks like is not determined. And the are we changing the world for better or or, or not? And yeah. it's the presupposition that it is inevitably better. That's the problem. Yeah, I, and it's I, again, it's what draws people here. It's the myth that brings everybody in. But I think that point around questioning that and 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 not just assuming it, I think is really important. And people don't want to do that here necessarily because it challenges their sense of self. It challenges the reason why people come here. It challenges your ability to bring people here from the rest of the world. But if you don't start doing it now, it's going to be done by everybody else and the way that they execute Well, it's not just that. No, it's just, just going to happen. And it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. It's like, you know, the great, the great superpower that we all have every single one of us is we have no control over anything that happens. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's true. You don't, you like what's going to happen in five minutes. You have no, you have no control over it. There's one thing that we all control. It's ourselves. And, mm-hmm. and that's amazing though, because that means that every moment of every day, you can be making yourself into a better person. The reality though, is most people, they, they want to blame everything else. They want to find other problems. Why? Because Improving and examining and being honest with yourself is really hard. It's really hard. But here's the thing. Your choice is not really hard and really easy. Your choice is impossible or really hard. And let's do the one that we actually have control over. I think that's that's you just described the mistake that folks make when they face disruption they assume that they can carry on doing what they're doing or do the new hard thing when in reality they like they get wiped out or they do the hard thing and it's always better to pick the hard thing well except for real disruption where you just don't have a chance well it's it's <laughs> real yes really hard let's hope it's not one of those Good, good to be back after last week and our thanks to mailchimp for sponsoring exponent and i will talk to you next week Sounds good, mate. See ya. All right, bye-bye.